Good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on on AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning. We had we had Danielson, who wasn't from Albuquerque, but we do have Bob, whose last name is not Taiwan, calling from Taiwan. Mr. Elliot. John Paul, how are you doing? Good, how are you? What do you what do you you got nothing to do? You're calling from Taiwan. What time is it there? Nine thirty. We're fifteen hours ahead of you right now and uh just uh, the sign of my usual Saturday night. Exciting, isn't it? <laughs> so uh so you're 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 in one of the uh, most electric cities in the world, so you decided to uh tune into the uh, Car Doctor radio show. I feel pretty honored about that. Couldn't miss it. Yeah. <laughs> It's nice to catch up with you on weekends, so I figured I'd call in and talk to you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so, uh, so tell, us, tell us a little bit about Taiwan. How much is gas in Taiwan? Well, Taiwan, as near as I can tell, is around $3.30 a gallon. But the most amazing thing is how many scooters they have out here. And there must be a million of them. If there's, uh, everyone seems to move around on scooters, and I mean everybody, families, two, three people on a scooter, no problem. And uh, surprisingly, I haven't seen one black 95 Honda that fit into the crowd at all. And, uh, you would, uh, you would, you would think, you would think you would. You know, it's uh, uh, what are the what are the cars like in Taiwan? I, I assume they're small, they're fuel yeah. efficient. Are there are there a lot of diesels in Taiwan? Uh, I would, I don't think so. I, I've been in Japan and uh, now in Taiwan. And I haven't found many diesel automobiles anywhere. Uh, Japan had a lot of CNGs in the buses yep. and in the cabs. But no diesels, not for personal use. They seem to all be for uh, commercial. Mm. Mm. And, and as far as I could tell, in Japan, it was even a 10% uh, discount to buy diesel. Wow. And, which would have been all the more intensive to own one. But uh, nobody has them out there. Uh, a lot of electric hybrids, a lot of CNG, but uh, not no diesels. I don't know. So, and I didn't see a single Volkswagen in Japan. Uh, hmm. In in Taiwan, you see pretty much what you see in the states. Only a lot of other small utility vehicles. Yeah. Well, you're you're our you're our equivalent of Anthony Bourdain traveling around the world. Okay. You know, letting I us know you. letting us know what's going on. Yeah. So, anybody uh, in the live one today? What was that? Is there anybody in your live audience today? Oh yeah, we have. Uh, we well, we don't. We only have Marita in the live audience today. So. Oh, all right, yeah, all right, yeah. all right. No, I'm 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 working this afternoon, so I left Joanne home. So. All right, good. Yeah, good. No, so uh, uh, it's it's always it's always good to hear from you. What's the what's the biggest cultural difference? You go to Taiwan, and what what do you see for like to get there? And what's the biggest cultural difference when you get there? Lots of people. Lots of people? Lots of people. These cities are massive. Uh, Tokyo is a city of about 10 million people. Uh, Taiwan is probably about 10 million. And we consider Boston's maybe a million strong. Uh, There's just masses of people. And the fact that uh, everyone seems to be able to move and not being into each other in a very small amount of space is pretty shocking to me because there's just... So it's overwhelming the amount of the amount of humanity. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. Now, is is this part of your trip where you are Japan, China, and uh, in India, or in the Middle East, or 
I go to the Middle East after this, yeah. Well. Yeah. Then I'll be able to catch up with you. Sometime. All right. Okay, we can hear all the stories. Hey, Bob. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us in Boston, all the way from Taiwan. Taipei, Taiwan, uh, and uh, everything works just fine. All the all the technology is working out here. That's it sounds like it is. Hey, talk to all you right. in a couple weeks. Take care. Bye. All right, see you, Bob. That was uh, that was a friend of mine. He is a very avid uh, air cool Volkswagen guy. Uh, and uh, it, we we got to meet each other. It was kind of, we sort of waved at each other from a distance uh, down the Cape. And one day, I think I was driving a pretty fancy Mustang. And um, it was, uh, I look over at his house and he had a, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a um, replica of a BMW, I mean, a Porsche Speedster. And I said, oh, that's Kind of interesting. And then a really fancy-looking Volkswagen Doom Buggy pulled into his driveway. And then a, I think, a Ford Mustang GT pulled into the driveway. So I said, you know what? I think i got to meet this guy and find out what's going on over there. So I walked over and kind of looked at the cars and met everybody, and we became, became friends. And uh, look at him. He's calling from Taiwan. He called from, uh, you know, he called from China uh as I put it on the podcast site, the my first call from China. Now I have more than one. Same guy, but more than one. All right. We'll go back to the car review only because I, I left off, you know, because, you know, Taiwan. You know, how often do you get a call from Taiwan? Anyway, the Toyota Tacoma is a midsize truck that's been completely redesigned for 2016. This year, the suspension system has been redesigned as an all-new V6 engine to go along with the carryover 4. Both engines will be paired with a... New six-speed automatic transmission with electronic shift. The V6 can also be mated to a new six-speed manual. And the four-cylinder to a five-speed manual, the new powertrain, makes the Tacoma a bit more fuel-efficient while having a little bit better performance. Uh, it is available in 29 configurations and two cab types, an extended access cab, four-door double cab. Each cab will be available in two-wheel and four-wheel drive. It comes in five model grades, a basic SR, the SR5, TRD Sport, TRD Off-Road, and the subject of our road test, the top-of-the-line Limited. The cabin of the Tacoma is as nice as any luxury car. The seats are wide, comfortable, and supportive, although there are not any height adjustments, which is sort of weird. The dash is laid out nicely, and the combination sound system navigation screen uses knobs for easier and less distracting control of major functions. The climate control system and seat heaters are also easily controlled with buttons and knobs rather than a touchscreen, which if you're bouncing a little bit on a four-way uh, in four-wheel drive off-road kind of makes a lot more sense. There's several cup holders, USB and 12-volt power points and bins to hold all the stuff we seem to carry. This truck even had a uh, wireless charging for cell phones, for uh, phones that have that capability at least. Mine doesn't. The uh, rear seat of our four-door truck was comfortable for two adults and can accommodate three if needed. The truck also had an optional sunroof, which I really liked. Uh, these double cab, extended cab trucks with the sunroof uh, makes a lot of sense. Um the access cab rides on a 128-inch wheelbase, has a 73-inch long bed. The double cab offered in two versions. Same, same idea, a little bit, little bit bigger, a little bit shorter. Um, the inner part of the cargo bed is made of a lightweight composite, so kind of a plasticky sort of stuff that resists dents. 
There are tie-down cleats and integrated deck rail utility system makes for, uh, you know, tying things down, putting bike racks in that fit right in. The truck also had a 120-volt, 400-watt outlet that could be used to run small tools or, I suppose, for that ultimate tailgate party. Our test vehicle also had a factory-installed hard tonneau cover to keep the bed dry and secure. On the road, the new V6 engine delivers very good performance. The new engine is high-tech Atkinson cycle design with variable valve timing. What all that means is a little bit better performance, a little bit better gas mileage, runs cleaner. This translates into about 278 horsepower and 265 foot-pounds of torque. Some people think it could feel even more powerful than it is. I think they geared it in such a way to try to make the most of it. Tacoma can also tow up to 6,800 pounds. And like I said, I had the opportunity to drive the Tacoma off-road and found that even the limited model could handle just about any challenge, deep ruts, steep hills, even large rocks could be climbed with ease. For those drivers who want to head far off-road, the TRD off-road grade gets its multi-terrain select system. This allows a driver to choose between different types of terrain. Think of it as a cruise control for off-road. Uh, safety is addressed with backup camera, standard airbags, driver and front passenger knee airbags, front and side rear curtain airbags, so you're safe in the car. The bottom line is the latest Toyota Tacoma may be the best Tacoma, but unfortunately, one of the most expensive, the two-wheel drive SR model starts at 23.3. Our test model came in at just over $40,000. If you're looking for a mid-sized truck that can handle just about anything, the Tacoma is about the only choice. Why don't we take a break? My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. W-R-O-L Boston. So, I say to the Duke, you are not going to believe what I just ordered through Salem Media's discount shopping. Half-price tickets to the fourth annual Connect Fest. Then he asks, what's Connect Fest? So I say, darling, it's just like Soul Fest with performances by comedian Tony Wolf, Sanctus Real, Michael Sweet of Striper, Seventh Day Slumber, and many more. This fabulous concert is on Saturday, October 3rd at Brockton's Campanelli Stadium. So take it from the Discount Duchess and go to WEZERadio.com, click on our Discount Shopping tab, and order your half-price tickets today. But hurry! Hey, this is Paul Sullivan. The Farmer's Almanac is predicting another tough New England winter. The key to getting through is preparing. We'll help you get ready and save you money, too. We've stocked our warehouses so we can provide you with these great deals. Thanks, Paul. Right now, all Goodyear tires at all Sullivan Tire and Auto Service locations are on sale. With Sullivan Tire Instant Savings combined with Goodyear Manufacturer Mail-In Rebates, you could save up to $220 with the purchase of four select Goodyear tires. Save on the popular Goodyear Assurance Fuel Max or the entire family of Goodyear Wrangler light truck tires. Thousands of Goodyear tires in stock at the best prices of the season. Here's your chance to get out in front of winter. Don't miss the giant Goodyear tire sale going on right now and only at Sullivan Tire. See SullivanTire.com or call 877-592-TIRE. Peace of mind driving. You deserve it. We provide it. Marita here with Mike from Coastal Heating and Air Conditioning. Mike, I have to ask, do you recommend eliminating the need for oil in your home and why? 
I'm going to speak from my personal experience. I was calling the oil man at least three times a year at a minimum of 800 a shot. So when I put the Mitsubishi in, I eliminated him completely. And if you have forced hot air oil system, we all know what it smells like when it turns on and we know the noise it makes. So if you eliminate that and put in the indoor units, you'll actually clean the air in your home. You will have no smell whatsoever and again with no noise. So it actually purifies the air. They have allergenic filters in them. So anyone that has breathing issues, they claim this will take care of it. Wow. Call Mike at Coastal today at 617-770-0636 for all of your heating and air conditioning needs. You're listening to The Car Doctor. Welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Remember, if you uh, miss a broadcast and you want to catch up with us, uh, the podcast site is johnfpaul.podomatic.com or just search it on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or any of those other places where uh, podcasts show up. And you can find generally whole, whole programs. So you can edit them down, do what you want, listen to the parts you want to. With us on the phone is... Uh, Old friend, Marty Shore. Marty is a uh, kind of PR royalty. He, he's been around, uh, he was doing uh, Buick public relations for a long time, sort of semi-retired, and now has become quite the author. Marty, welcome yes. back to hey. Boston. Hey, John, thanks a lot. Hey, uh, this latest book you did, Ford Total Performance, looks like, first off, first off, it's a fantastic book. Secondly, it looks like it was a lot of work. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, it, it, you know, these, these book projects, they take about a year. That's the normal thing. But in my case, much of the stuff I've been working on for the last two or three years. <laughs> so it, 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 it's a year, but actually it's more than that. So, Well, and a lot of what's in this book, you just had to know. You just, you, it must just, it must have just been in your head from being around, the, you know, the performance market for as long as you were. Well, the, the funny thing about doing this, and, and you can appreciate this being in the business as long as you've been in it, um, back in the day when I was the magazine editor, I dealt with most of these people. However, the agenda was much different then. And as an automotive editor, I wasn't looking for all the little nuances and details that were going on internally at Ford regarding racing or any other company. I was only interested in what's hot, what's new, and what's coming next year. And when I started this book, I started talking to people who retired from Ford, guys I knew back in the day, and I got stories that I had never heard of before. Mm. And and so it was kind of an interesting situation and I ran into a um, difficult part which was what I can print and what I can't print uh, mainly because of reasons of legality and I didn't want to end up in court um, and I had to actually run a lot of my copy past a friend who is the U.S. attorney for most of Texas and to make sure I kept out of jail uh, yeah, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have lousy food in jail, and I can't play with my cars. Yeah. Um, 
So I found out a lot of stuff that had never been printed before and um, that I had no idea. People were doing things that I had absolutely no idea they were doing. And decisions were made based on facts that I had never heard of before. And so uh, I found it extremely interesting and uh, spent a lot of time with some of these old-timers who were racers, who were engineers, who were marketing people at Ford, and an awful lot of stuff came out, and most most of it is in the book. Mm. But I had to be careful on some of the words I used so I didn't end up in trouble. But... Um, well, let's let's kind of lift the curtain a little bit. What was one, what was one of the things that sort of surprised you about you know maybe you know maybe at Ford you know as it related to maybe the Skunk Works or some of some of the projects that you know Ford was working on? Well, yeah, <clears throat> that's exactly probably the the most important thing you picked it. Um, that's because you obviously read the book. Um, the thing is that I knew Ford got out of racing, and I knew Ford. Um, was changing direction around 68, 69, going into 1970. And I knew that Henry Ford was under pressure to cut back on racing. Mm. But I really didn't know all the details because there were some Senate or congressional hearings in Washington that Henry Ford attended and was taken to task because he was spending more money on racing than he was spending on safety. And those were the early years of let's do something about safety. Mm. Uh, just before let's do something about emissions. And racing became a no-no. So he cut back a little bit, and then eventually Lee Iacocca, who was trying very hard to become president of Ford Motor Company, um, was given the assignment of looking at all these racing vendors to see why everything was costing so much money. And that's when he uncovered um, all the corruption that was going on both uh, internally at Ford and externally at the vendors and all the big names that you and I grew up with as being heroes. Well, they had a kind of a shady background. And um, by, by, let me see, by I think, Thanksgiving time of, of 69 um, into 70, uh, there was a major upheaval because Iacocca found so much stuff going on that um, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars being wasted. And, you know, stuff like Ford employees looking to use Holman and Moody's airplane for personal stuff and guys having their driveways paved by vendors and uh, engines disappearing. Uh, lots and lots of stuff that happened, and that ended up collapsing special vehicles at Ford, ending the car craft relationship, mm. and having a number of guys, let us say, leave the company. Uh, what most people don't realize is that because Ford is pretty much, even though it's a public company, is, is controlled quite tightly by the Ford family. Um, Henry Ford didn't want to see the Ford name dragged through the courts. Mm. So 
rather than do uh, the usual thing that most corporations would do, he offered these people alternatives. They could retire, resign, and everything would be forgotten about. Mm. Or if they wanted to fight and stay, they'd be doomed. You know, it would, yeah. it would be all over. So <clears throat> guys left. And uh, some guys were escorted out of their offices. And the next thing, uh, car craft was pretty much destroyed. Um, they tried locking Ford out of the buildings. Uh, it, it was it was a it was a mess, and very little of that mess was told to the public. Mm. You know, back in the day, the journalists were only interested in. Even the business journalists were interested in sales figures and what they're doing next year. And automotive journalists like myself and yourself were interested in driving the latest cars and finding out what the latest engines were. We didn't care about who was pocketing money. Um, never entered our mind. So <clears throat> I, I, I started finding this stuff out, talking to retired employees. Mm. And um, it opened up a can of worms. And I got it pretty much all corroborated by people like Lee Holman, who uh, his father was John Holman, mm -hmm. uh, and some Ford employees who actually stayed on long after their retirement, but they knew the story. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it was it was kind of a, a cool time, and it kind of ended up with racing going away for a few years and then coming back. Again. Yeah. <laughs> And back again even stronger than before, and nothing has changed. Um, you think you think there's some uh, corruption in racing today? Well, it, it's so hard to tell because yeah. I, I've not done any research, but I, I do believe that the purse strings at the car companies are much more tightly controlled. Mm. And, you know, <clears throat> back in the old days, most of the contracts given to the racing vendors, like, Carol Shelby mm -hmm. and the rest of them were cost plus contracts. So they were um, kind of controlled by the fact that they could only charge what the raw parts, raw materials cost plus, I don't know, a 15% markup. Mm. So some of those vendors found a way around that by um, cooking the books. Yeah. And, you know, most of those people never were exposed and I wasn't about to really expose them because you and I both grew up with these people being our heroes and I certainly wouldn't want to tarnish that there's nothing in it for me this, yeah. this book wasn't written as an expose it was written mainly to document what actually happened racing and performance wise both on the street and on the track no it, it is and for people here in New England you have uh you know, for people that are Tasca fans, you have uh, oh. you have a fair amount of stuff about uh, Bob Senior in the book. Yes, and, and he was a friend and a, and a great guy, and um, so well connected right up to Henry Ford. Um, and he was responsible for so much of, I guess, planting ideas at Ford Motor Company for performance cars because he was always out there and he's always talking to Aya Coker and talking to Henry Ford and talking to the engineers. And so he planted seeds. And some of the things was, you know, he, he was responsible in many ways for the uh, 68 
Cobra Jet Mustang, mm-hmm. which was kind of revolutionary in his day, and a couple of them are on the cover of the book, uh, of my new book, but um, he was a great guy, and the dealership was incredibly successful for a small, physically small store. Yeah, physically small place, small dealership, you know, bordering, you know, the smallest state in the country, right. and it had one of the biggest, and it had one of the biggest names. Right. You know, yeah. And it was also um, very weird that a dealership that small could generate sales that rivaled the top in the country. Mm. We're talking about in areas like Los Angeles, Chicago, you know, he was outselling dealers that were many times his physical size in markets that were many times larger than his market. Mm. He had a lot of sales out of the area. You know, people all over the country came to Tasca Ford to buy a car. Yeah. Uh, which, and now I believe, you know, the stores are very, very successful. His his sons are there and uh, grandsons. And, and, you know, it, 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 yeah. it was a great family, and they were very helpful in supplying some of the archival photos that I didn't have. I had a lot of photos because I spent time with, uh, John Healy, the engine builder, and Billy Lawton, the driver, mm-hmm. uh, at racetracks and at the dealership. So I had a, a lot of exclusive photos of them in the cars. But, uh, yeah, the Boston yeah. area, you know, the New England area, I should say, was very hot. You had Har Ford. Yep. And I think there was a dealer called Williams Ford um, in Massachusetts. And they were very, very strong with performance mm. No, it's, and, and I, you know, some of the things you have, in, you know, and I love some of the titles, like, you know, 1966 Shelby GT350, less Shelby, more sales. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, what, what was very funny about the whole Shelby thing and Shelby Mustangs is uh, Shelby had, Carol had big fans in Detroit, mm-hmm. in Dearborn, and Henry Ford and Lee Iacocca were big fans of Carol Shelby. And rightfully so. And um, the problem is that a lot of the bean counters were not. And um, a lot of the bean counters wanted the Shelby Mustangs to essentially be built by Ford. Because having them built by Shelby was way more expensive. Mm. And they tried very hard to get as much work done on the car's at the plant before the cars went to Carroll um, to cut down on the costs. But um, the whole thing with Shelby Mustangs, Ford, and the builders, there was always a problem. There was always a problem. Uh, the costs were very high. Uh, there was unhappiness. But the people loved the cars. Mm. The, cars the cars were great. And they did so much for Ford's reputation that Aya Coker and, and Henry Ford, they could care less. They wanted that connection. They wanted those cars in Ford dealerships. And they they attracted so many customers. Besides, they were, they were fast cars. Mm. So it was all good, but there was a whole controversy. And, and eventually Shelby got out of the Mustang business. And the cars were built in the in Michigan, mm. 
and uh, his input was less and less, and the cars eventually went away. Uh, but, you know, the whole Cobra-Shelby Mustang thing was so important for Ford and so important for the enthusiast community. I mean, it's just yeah. outstanding. No, I think, I think anybody who has a little bit of gasoline in their veins remembers the first time they saw uh, Shelby Mustang. Right. You know, that, that that image still sticks because you you knew it was a Mustang because everybody loved Mustangs. But when you saw it was a Shelby Mustang, that just, it etched something in your brain. And you said, I remember seeing that when I was, you know, whatever age. And, <laughs> you know, and the guy who had it and, you know, boy, was it fast. Well, the, the, the thing is that it's kind of amazing. The, the original Shelby Mustangs, the whole uh, decor package was done by Peter Brock. Mm. And Peter was Shelby's first employee, I think, when he started doing Cobras and responsible for the Daytona Coupe. And, and he's a legend. Yep. And just with the details of the emblems and stripes and the way the car sat, the car could have had a four-cylinder motor. <laughs> it just looked mean. Mm. And um, everybody loved the way it looked. And the the original one, the the, the 65 was a hairy car yeah yeah <laughs> and it was a hairy race car the r model cars were serious serious scca race cars yeah. um you know corvettes had a difficult time keeping up with some of these mustangs mm. so yeah. you know shelby was so responsible for so much of ford's performance image and um you know holman and moody on the stock car side and it was just, it was a field day because Henry Ford essentially told his people that he wanted to dominate motorsport. And that was it. He didn't care how much it cost. Mm. And, you know, by 1966, when the three GT40s finished one, two, three, I mean, and winning Indianapolis and, and winning Le Mans and winning Daytona and, and winning the NHRA Nationals. I mean, that was a dream. Mm. Uh, and it didn't matter how much he was spending until it did matter. And and then, you know, other priorities like safety and emissions had to start taking preference. Yeah, I hate it when that stuff gets in the way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's really, for guys like us, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. But, no, uh, <laughs> one of the pictures, you have, you have a picture of... Um, the GT40s crossing the crossing the finish line right. in Le Mans, and and it it looks as if the car crossing the finish line first, the right rear tires off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what's very funny, um, the photography that was done that day uh, when the cars won. For some reason, I, I have to really say the photography was kind of lousy. Yeah. You know, and, and Ford had some of the best guys out there. I mean, Joe Farkas, the, the in-house photographer, was superb. And David Friedman was superb. And he shot a lot of... Yet there were very, very few pictures of the three cars crossing the line that are quality pictures. And I never understood. I could never figure out why. You know, I'm looking... Mm. You know, you mentioned that I'm looking at the book right now, and I'm I'm looking at the picture. It does appear to be that way. Um, I don't know why. Yeah. But maybe some rain 
around the tire makes it look that way. Yeah, I, I just think it's an incredible looking picture as it is. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it just it just it makes it it makes it real interesting. And this book is, you know, if you're uh, kind of an automotive historian and you you love Ford products, this is this is for you. If you're if you're a guy who likes racing this is a book for you if you're a car enthusiast in general this is a book this is a this is a this is a great book for all kinds of different people that love cars well thank you i mean it was it was written basically for that you know major audience of people who afford people i mean car guys i always feel like car guys are divided into groups you have guys who are nameplate centric yep so everything in their life is a Chevelle or maybe a Nova or, or maybe a Torino or, or maybe a Mustang. And then you have guys who are brand-centric. They only care about Ford. They don't care about General Motors or Chrysler. Mm -hmm. And then you have the kind of car guys that I think you and I are, which we like anything that's good. Yeah. It, it, I don't care what the nameplate is. I mean, I've owned different cars over the years. I own different cars now. Um I don't consider myself, you know, a Ford guy or a Chevrolet guy. I mean, I've been a Corvette guy for 100 years, uh, but I don't consider myself a Corvette guy. I just consider myself a car enthusiast. So, um, you know, th th that's why when I, when I wrote the book, I was kind of writing it from the standpoint of what I would like to see in a car book that talked about Ford. And, and that was really... Uh, I, I've not owned that many Fords in my lifetime. Uh, I own one now, but uh, essentially, they, they've never been the car that I have to own. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the history of Ford Motor Company and racing, there was a Ford racing before there was a Ford Motor Company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. when you think about it, you're, you're absolutely right. And I noticed somehow you managed to stick your son's picture in here. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit that uh, you caught me, uh, absolutely. Um, Stuart helped me out because um, he got to Goodwood and he got to the quail uh, at times when I couldn't. And um, he's friendly with Brian Johnson, as I am. So I had this great picture of him and Brian with uh, Brian's Lola, which is in the book, uh, at the quail lodge. So I used that picture, and he shot a couple of pictures for me, one of a uh, twin cam escort race car at um, Goodwood, and also one of the 63-and-a-half Fastback Galaxy mm. at Goodwood. So he saved me the trouble of going, and I get to give my son a byline. There, there, you, go, there you go. And for, for people who don't know who Brian Johnson is, like young people like my producer, Marito, uh, there's this <laughs> band called ACDC. Yeah, that Brian, that Brian Johnson, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the funny thing is that Brian is a friend and uh, a friend of mine, and I introduced him to Stewart. And uh, Brian, being a Brit, loves British cars, hmm. and so he drives a Land Rover um, or Range Rover autobiography edition, and um, he just took delivery, like I'm saying, last week. Hmm of one of the Project 7 Jaguars. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, it, in fact, he called me up and said, if you want to see it, it's over at the Jaguar dealer. I can't take it home because I'm leaving for Australia. Mm. 
So it's sitting in a dealership while he's having a concert in Australia. But I'm not sure how many Project 7s they built for the world. But there, and I know there aren't many. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, that's that's incredible. And you know, and I think you're, you know, I think when you talk about people like you and me, and you talk about the, you know, the the car hobby, it yeah. brings a lot of people together. A friend of mine, he has, uh, I think he has, he just bought his tenth car, and he has, he he's uh, he has some sort of scattered between Florida and Boston, but. And you know, and and I don't have ten cars. I barely have one car. But but we still get together and we talk about cars. And he happens to like he happens to like German cars. He likes BMWs and Porsches. And but we still talk about all kinds of different cars that sort of just make us happy to talk about cars. And we talk about you know how they look and how they feel and how they smell and what makes them fun and enjoyable to have. And that kind of brings people together. And I I remember being at a. Uh, a car show, and there was sort of, you know, we'll use we'll use stereotypes. There was a stereotypical Camaro group of people. So you know, and then there was the Asian hot rodders, and there was this death stare going on between the two. And you thought there was going to be a fight that was going to break out, and finally one person went over to the other guy's car and said, "Hey, tell me about the supercharger you have." And all of a sudden, they all got together and they were friends. But before that, it looked like it, you know, it looked like the uh, Jets and the Sharks were about ready to have a fight. <laughs> well, you know, um, you probably know that I, I run a, a, a lunch group in, in Sarasota, um, Sarasota Cafe Racers. And, and essentially, we have satellites in a variety of locations around the country, in Europe, and actually in Iran. <clears throat> And it's based on car enthusiasts. We don't care what kind of car you like. And we don't care. All we care is that you're a straight guy. And I'm not talking about sexually. I'm talking about a decent guy who likes cars. And we don't care if you own an old Camaro or a Porsche Turbo or a Ferrari Enzo. It doesn't matter what you own. And that concept really works for real car people. Real car people can appreciate a Porsche Turbo Mm. even though they either can't afford to own one, don't particularly like the way they look, or whatever Mm. the case is. I mean, one of my guys in the group has a rare Porsche 911, I don't know, some anniversary car they built, 50 of them. Mm. And he gave me the keys and said, Hey, let's take it for a ride. What do you think? And, you know, I, I didn't particularly like the car that much. I found I found it to be claustrophobic mm. inside the coupe. I'm tall, so yeah. it was and I'm not that claustrophobic in my Corvette or in my Ford GT, which I should be, but I'm not. Mm. In that car, it was, it was very claustrophobic, but the car was blindingly fast. Yeah. And it had incredible brakes. And... I had to appreciate the engineering that went into that car, even though I wouldn't want to own one, wouldn't want to buy one, didn't particularly want to drive one, but I got to respect that as a wonderful automobile. So as far as car enthusiasts go, the real car guy is a car guy who appreciates all kinds of cars. Right. Antiques, classics, race cars, whatever. And that's the common bound or bind, I should say, between people, bond between people. Uh, and you see that at the New England 
uh, press group, Mempa, all different guys. They like different things, but they all get along. Yeah. No, I mean, whether it's, you're right, whether it's, uh, you know, John Lawler and his old caddies or, you know, Glenn Gould and his steam cars or Craig Fitzgerald and his, you know, 1970s GM cars that he falls in love with. You know, everybody, everybody has their, you know, everybody has their thing. And it, it's funny, the, the guy, the guy with the, uh, the guy I know who loves German cars, I picked him what, up one night to go to dinner and I happened to be driving a Subaru STI. And he kind of looked at me and went, well, well, this isn't my cup of tea. And he's like, yeah, I know people. People like him, and there was a little uh, straight stretch, and I kind of nailed it through first and second. And he went, "This guy's pretty impressive," you know. He said, "You know, he's like, I, you know, again, not my cup of tea, but you know, this is a pretty impressive car." And then we spent some time looking at it, and the guy from the restaurant came out and looked at it, and you know, by the time we were done, we, you know, we were having a twenty-minute conversation about Subaru. Right, yeah. and, and and I think that's that's the strong point of the hobby. I mean, that's what this hobby is all about. Uh, it's not about, and I can tell you this because from experience, it's not about the guy who has made it financially in the world and buys a new Ferrari, mm-hmm. or buys a new Porsche, or buys a new Jaguar, or buys a new Maserati, and thinks he's a car guy. Yeah. Well, we get him all the time. You know, you live in upscale neighborhoods, you live in upscale cities, there's loads of guys who are driving new Jaguars or new Porsches. Mm-hmm. They're not car guys. No. Some of them just want to have a nice car. Some of them want to show off. But they're not car guys. And therein lies a big difference because I get phone calls from people who see our website and want to join our group. And when I talk to them and I realize that the only common bond here is they bought a new Jaguar. Yeah. Do they know anything about it? Nah, they don't know anything about racing. They don't mm. know, know anything about the history of Jaguar and the famous SS or XKs or anything else. All they know is they had $80,000 and they bought a new Jaguar. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. That's true. And this this book, you know, not, not that I would buy my boss at AAA a Christmas present, but if I was going to buy him a Christmas present, <laughs> this would be a pretty good book because he happens to have in his few cars he owns he happens to have a cobra jet mustang and he happens to have a 66 uh shelby gt 350 h that the you know before he bought it the engine was rebuilt by holman moody so so it it has this weird provenance to it so for somebody like him he would spend days looking looking through this book so you know it's it's a book that appeals to somebody like that who has this and he works on his own cars he's got he's got a garage at his house and he loves enjoying doing that kind of stuff that's what he does to get away from the day-to-day business part of it but for somebody who just enjoys cars and even if they can't afford the car they love they can read about them and look at them and appreciate them well, sure, and that's, you know, when I wrote this book, I didn't really write it for the hardcore Ford enthusiast. I mean, it, it, I, I did in a way, but what I really did is I wanted to educate people on what is pretty much factual background in Ford Motor Company's racing history, which kind of leads into explaining why Ford does what it does with racing and why they have a new GT. Mm-hmm. And they're going to Le Mans with it. Mm. Um, it's the continuation of what Henry Ford started before there was a Ford Motor Company. And, and you know, it, it goes back to a time when cars were, you know, just 
motorized horseless carriage. Yeah, yeah. And and it continues today. The the Ford DNA is definitely, you know, performance. And I think that performance ends up with developing better engines, better cars uh, that mom and pop can buy. Yeah. No, it, it, you know, and I, you know, take that from, you know, the, the little bit of time I got to spend with Bob Tasker Sr., you know, we, we talked about that one day and we were talking about how, you know, how, how engineering goes into it and how perception of quality is different than actual quality sometimes. Right. And, you know, and, you know pretty fascinating stuff. So where can people get your new book, Ford Total Performance? Well, they can go to Amazon. And just type it into the search on Amazon, and it'll come right up. Yep. It has its own page. I think Motorbooks also has a um, ordering site. Yep. Um, you know, probably the, the – I'm not sure of the pricing because I don't really follow it, but I think the best bet is probably for price-wise Amazon. Yep. And um, I know they're shipping books. They started shipping books um, Monday. Um, and I think as of the other day, my book was number six of the hundred top automotive books on Amazon. So, um, I, I know they have inventory and in the shipping and, uh, some of the reviews are starting to come in and I'm just very happy. Mm. Yeah, no, no, the, the book, the book is great. And, uh, if I ever find myself down in, uh, down in Florida, I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, join your group for lunch. Maybe let me in. Even, Are you kidding me? Even if I'm in a rental. I'll even buy you lunch you come down here. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, Marty, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking some time out and joining us up here in Boston today. Thank you, my friend. Okay, take care. Take care. That was Marty Shore, <laughs> author. And uh, like I said, PR royalty. He was, you know, he was the PR guy for, for Buick, uh, magazine editor, just a real automotive enthusiast and just a generally good guy. We had uh, Stuart on, his son, who's the uh, Jaguar Land Rover uh, PR director, uh, back a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, talking about the new Jaguars. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, a little bit tied into that and a little bit tied into the latest James Bond movie. We're going to do a little James Bond car trivia. And I got to tell you, it's going to be a tough one. You're gonna to have to get out. You're gonna to have to get out Google to get, figure this one out. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. We'll be right back. WROL Boston. Hey, this is Paul Sullivan. The Farmer's Almanac is predicting another tough New England winter. The key to getting through is preparing. We'll help you get ready and save you money, too. We've stocked our warehouses so we can provide you with these great deals. Thanks, Paul. Right now, all Goodyear tires at all Sullivan Tire and Auto Service locations are on sale. With Sullivan Tire instant savings combined with Goodyear manufacturer mail-in rebates, you could save up to $220 with the purchase of four select Goodyear tires. 
Save on the popular Goodyear Assurance Fuel Max or the entire family of Goodyear Wrangler light truck tires. Thousands of Goodyear tires in stock at the best prices of the season. Here's your chance to get out in front of winter. Don't miss the giant Goodyear tire sale going on right now and only at Sullivan Tire. See SullivanTire.com or call 877-592-TIRE. Peace of mind driving. You deserve it. We provide it. The Great Molasses Flood of 1919, they were there. The Prue pierces the skyline. 1964, they were there. 2004, Boston baseball reigns supreme again. They were there. They were there when Starrow Drive opened in 1951. And when the first flight landed at Logan in 1923, they were there. They've been here for a hundred years of Boston, uniquely Boston, City of Boston Credit Union. Memberships open to anyone living or working in Suffolk or Norfolk counties. And when it comes to loans, when you need a loan, there's no place like City of Boston Credit Union. They are there. They're for you. Home loans, vehicle, tuition, energy, and personal. City of Boston Credit Union, 617-635-4545. City of Boston Credit Union is NMLS number 403469 equal housing lender. Visit cityofbostoncu.com for more. City of Boston Credit Union, uniquely Boston. Meet Bobby and Tony Lee who will inspire you at the Power of Love Women's Conference to Live, Love, and Laugh on Saturday, November 14 at Crossroads Worship Center in Weymouth. I said, Lord, I don't care what you do. I don't care um, how bad the trial is. You have to intervene in this situation. And I know people say, oh, don't pray those prayers. Like, don't pray those prayers of surrender? That makes no sense. Of course you pray those prayers. The eternal matters more than the temporal. So I laid and I said, Lord, you do whatever it takes. I mean, who am I going to trust in? Am I going to trust in my ability to try to get to my son? Or am I going to trust in God's ability to intervene? $25 tickets when you register at WEZERadio.com or call 1-800-992-0369. That's 1-800-992-0369. We'll see you there. Marita here with Mike from Coastal Heating and Air Conditioning. Mike, I have to ask, do you recommend eliminating the need for oil in your home and why? I'm going to speak from my personal experience. I was calling the oil man at least three times a year at a minimum of 800 a shot. So when I put the Mitsubishi in, I eliminated him completely. And if you have forced hot air oil system, we all know what it smells like when it turns on and we know the noise it makes. So if you eliminate that and put in the indoor units, you'll actually clean the air in your home. You will have no smell whatsoever and again with no noise. So it actually purifies the air. They have allergenic filters in them. So anyone that has breathing issues, they claim this will take care of it. Wow. Call Mike at Coastal today at 617-770-0636 for all of your heating and air conditioning needs. WROL Boston.
Welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Marty's a great guy. Marty was one of the first PR people I met um, when I when I first started writing about cars and doing stuff about cars 25 or more years ago. And he was just somebody who just uh, treated people right and just a good guy. Check out his book. It is a, a great book. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, like he said, it's probably even a little bit cheaper on Amazon. So uh, go go take a look at it there. And uh, he has uh, he also did a book about um, uh, motion performance, which is also which is also a great book. But this this is a good one if you're a Ford enthusiast, a local Tasker enthusiast, you'll you'll like it. It's a good it's a good read, and lots of pictures for people like me who don't read. There's plenty of pictures. Okay, there's a new James Bond movie coming out. Marita, you're a James Bond fan at all? A little bit. Anthony? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Anyway, uh, the DB5, the Aston Martin DB5, uh, big popular car in all the James Bond movies. In fact, in the latest James Bond movie, the uh, the car that Brian Johnson just purchased, kind of that one-off car, I think there it appears sort of in that movie at some point. But... There was all kinds of other brands of cars that appeared in the movie. There was even an AMC Hornet, I think, in one of them. There was a Lotus, the Aston Martin, of course, popular. BMW was popular. But in 1967, in the James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice, there was a pretty unique car that was in that movie. It didn't, like all James Bond cars, they don't last very long in the movies. It seems like they get blown up or something. But what was the car that was in, that was featured pretty prominently, very rare sports car uh, that was featured pretty prominently, and you only live twice? You know the answer. Give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. If you know the answer, give us a call. Um, and you will be, whatever you win today, you'll be also entered in to win the uh, AAA membership we're going to give away as well. So uh, we always, we uh, once a month give away a AAA membership, so you will get that too. And uh, speaking of uh, uh, how things work together, a few weeks ago we had Morris Porter on our show, and we talked about his business where you can register your car and make your car a movie star of sorts, and um, which is always sort of interesting. And... We actually needed a car for a, a commercial for AAA. So I had our uh, marketing director call Morris up. They managed to put a car together. Somebody made money in having their car. So if you want to register your car to be in a movie, and this was, was this any kind of an exotic car? No, we needed a car that was six or seven years old that looked good so it could look good as a brand new car that was really six years old and also six years later as a used car. And we wanted that car to look, you know, look nice and shiny then and nice and shiny now without any dents or dings or scratches or things. And uh, Morris arranged a car for us. And the tricky part is we had to arrange for the car to be in Connecticut at a production studio. Car was there for two days and it, it worked out good. If you're... Um Considering buying a Ford product, and we've been talking about Fords with the with the book, but Ford plans to start running one of its biggest sales promotions since the recession, I think, and it's going to start up now, and it's going to run 
Now through January 4th, according to a 20-page guide distributed to dealers, the guide shows discounts of up to 10% off suggested retail prices and says that they can be combined with other incentives that uh, it already offers. In addition, the sales enables dealers to earn more from each transaction than they otherwise would. In other words, they could uh, $126 more on a Ford Focus, $471 more on an F-150. It's sort of a friends and family discount. This is truly a rare deal that can leverage into huge sales and maximum profits. Um, Ford will promote the sale with heavy rotation on TV, print, radio advertising. This is not a normal, let's take $500 off a car, according to the owner of a Ford dealership in Michigan. Last time we did something like this is when things were pretty bad. And I don't think this is an indication things are bad. Ford officials declined to comment on the sale uh, beyond saying that the automaker had not announced any upcoming promotions. But apparently this was an internal thing. The phrasing invokes a widely popular employee discount for everyone. The GM ran a while back. The plan, the discount uh, Ford uh, now plans to offer, known as the X plans, are not as steep as the employee pricing, which it calls the A plan. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know, keep an eye on this. But it looks like there may be some. If you're thinking about buying a Ford product in the next uh, little bit of time, this may be a good time to uh, look look and see what's there. Let's see. Let's start in uh, with Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing, John? Good. How are you? When you first said James Bond, I thought you were going to throw a trick question like a zombie in Alpine. But my guess without looking it up, and it's totally a guess, is the Toyota 2000 GT. How'd you know that? Uh, well, you're, you're absolutely... Just, oh, just off the top of my head, I just, you know, I actually saw one of those in North Weymouth in 1967. I can't believe it. But, yeah, great car. Very valuable car today. Yeah, and apparently, according to what I read when I was looking that up, they actually cut the roof off of it because uh, Sean Connery couldn't fit in it. Really? Yeah, they... Right? Uh, they, according to what I read here, it says, although the 2000 GT was originally built as a coupe, the film's producers commissioned a special convertible version because Sean Connery simply couldn't fit into the little sports car. Yeah, it was. I remember that was done in Japan, and uh, I just remember the car. I remember a lot of the James Bond. Like I say, another good trick question would have been that Sunbeam in Alpine, which is just right. one, one of your shows. Yeah. Hey, while I got you, can I ask you a quick question? Absolutely. Maybe doesn't. Uh, what do you think? What's the out for Volkswagen on this problem they have? I mean, can it be done through software, or are they going to have to recall? What's your gut feeling on it? I think they're going to try to do it with software. And I'm I'm not sh- I'm not sure there was there was some talk that they were going to tr- they were going to do the the diesel fluid conversion which is really expensive. Expensive, but, yeah. But here's here's what I um, Consumer Reports did a pretty good uh, did a pretty good uh, kind of report on the vehicle. What they did is they disconnected the rear wheel anti lock brake sensor. So basically, what it did is it put it into this cheat mode. Yeah. And what they found was. On two different models, the zero to 60 times change by about a second. Now, nobody who drives a Volkswagen diesel is really going to notice that it goes from zero to 60 in nine seconds instead of eight. Because it's going to feel, it's going to, realistically, it's going to feel about the same. What they also found, though, is what was kind of interesting, and, and they didn't, I don't, I didn't like the way they actually reported it, but what they said was, uh, fuel economy, it lost it, le- it lost 10% of its fuel economy. But what they said was they were looking at what they had been getting for an average fuel economy, which was about 50 miles per gallon, which most Volkswagen diesel owners get. And it dropped down to about 45 miles per gallon, 
which is actually one mile per gallon more than the EPA sticker said. So I think what's what kind of happens here is you bought the car based on the fact that it was going to get 44 miles per gallon. And amazingly, you got 50. And you're like, wow, I'm getting 50 miles per gallon. I must be a really good driver. Well, what happened was the software enabled it to get better gas mileage. But I think what's going to happen, and Volkswagen, I think, could argue it, that we're going to change it. We're going to make the cars run clean like they're supposed to. And, yeah, there may be a drop in fuel economy, but it's not going to be less than we told anybody it was going to be to start off with. Yeah. I think that you and I agree with that, but everybody was not listening. No. To just... Uh, society. Oh, I, 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 I yeah. I, mean, that's I, I got a, I got a, I posted something on, like, a lot of people. I have a Facebook page, and I posted something on Facebook, and and I said, I don't know what bothers me more that Volkswagen blatantly cheated, or the amount of uh, lawyers who have already put up offers about, you know, Volkswagen, you know, you should get your money back, you should get pain and suffering, and I'm like, why, why, why pain and suffering? I didn't understand that, and then. um uh, somebody who is a pretty well-respected auto writer said, yeah, you know, it's those lawyers, that's the whole problem. And he was kind of making fun of what I said. And I felt like saying, yeah, from a from a guy whose wife is a freshly minted lawyer. Um, but it was one of those, it was one of those things that it's like, you know, uh, you know, class, you know, uh, I must get, I must get five emails every day that says, Join yeah. the class action suit, yeah. you know? Me too. Me too. Hurts and, everybody. Yeah. And, you know, and, I, yeah, I don't, they're going to spend so much on that. I mean, they literally, if they looked at the fine of the vehicles, they could literally buy 500,000 cars back, and it's going to be cheaper than the fine. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, and the emissions levels, you know, every, and, and, you know, media media says, you know, up to 40 times more, you know, more pollution than what it should be. Well, it was 10 to 40 times more, So, but everybody says 40. And the other thing is, it's only that one pollutant, oxides of nitrogen. It's not hydrocarbons. It's not carbon monoxide. It's not carbon dioxide. It's carbon. It's oxides of nitrogen. And it puts it into the same category as a car from the 1970s or so. The best now I could... You know. I suggest that Volkswagen takes all those cars, ships them to Shanghai, runs and cleans the air in Shanghai. How's that sound? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, my you know, my buddy called from Taiwan. You know, maybe that's a good place. You know, they they have an incentive to buy diesels. Diesels cheaper in Taiwan than it is in than it is gasoline. So, and there is some thought that Volkswagen was going to buy them back. the The latest thing that Volkswagen came up with is if you're a Volkswagen dealer and you had a Volkswagen on your lot, new or used. They would guarantee the price prior to the announcement. So if, say, a used, say a three-year-old used Volkswagen had a retail price of $19,000, and now it has a retail price of 15000 because nobody wants to know whether to buy them, Volkswagen says, you know what, Volkswagen dealer, we will guarantee that, you know, you'll if you sell it for less than $19,000, we will make up Don't the make difference. Whole, yeah. yeah. make them whole. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I, you know, they... The thing is that, you know, they cheated and, you know, somebody said to me, why do you think they cheated? And, and it was kind of funny. I was, you know, the guy with the, that did the Ford book, his son and I were talking about the whole thing and, and his son's been around the world and, and he kind of agreed with me. He said, it's part of the, you know, kind of the, the German engineering culture is we won't fail. You know, our bosses, he, he's convinced the same as I was that some senior management person said, here's what you need to do. They, they tried, they tried, they tried. They couldn't figure it out and do what they wanted to do, so they came up with a way to cheat because they didn't want to admit defeat. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember as being an arbiter for Porsche one time, and uh, I went out and looked at a 911 Targa roof Porsche, so the roof comes off, and the customer who, you know, paid serious money for the car said, you know, I, I like the car, I love the car, but I don't like the idea if I drive it in the rain, I get the water drips in through the roof at me. And the Porsche engineer said, what do you expect? The roof comes off. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an English roads. I, I know, almost. M- M- that makes sense, yeah. not a Porsche. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, know. you very much. For All right, oh, stay, stay, stay right there. Stay right there, and Marita will get your address down. And we'll we'll send you out some sort of um, terrible novelty price, but we'll send Sounds you something. Great. Okay. Thanks. All right. Stay right there. Thanks. And let's see. Uh, well, Marita does that on there. Uh oh. Oh, are we still there? Oh, okay. All right. Let's go over to the next. Where are we going? It's up to you. But you pick a line. You pick, well, well, I think we answer trivia, so let's see who's there. Go over to line three. Gary. Gary? Hello. Hello. Peter? Who's this? Yes. Hey, it's Peter. Hey, it's Peter. How are you? Well, we got an answer. I know. Yep. You did. They made that 2000 GT between 1967 and 70. But there were only, the one they used in the Bond movie, there were only two convertibles ever made, and that was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they, uh, and, and is it true? Do you think it's true they they hacked the roof off of it so uh, Sean Connery could fit in? <laughs> he, had to, he had to step over the door and into it and lower himself in. Uh, I, they probably modified it for his long legs, you know, the striker that he was. Yeah, I, you know, was, was I, you know, is he a big guy? I never, I never. He's, pretty tall. he's about 6'1 or 6'2". Oh, okay. Yeah, he's got, you know, pretty long legs and, uh. Yeah, he's, I don't know exactly how how tall, but he was over six feet. Yeah, you don't happen yeah. to have you don't happen to have a, a Toyota GT, do you? No, no. I don't because it's one of the most collectible Japanese cars of all time. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've only I've only seen one in person. Now I would like to actually because it was quite a you know obviously you know looks a, a, a lot like the Jag E type. Yeah, and even the interior I've seen one uh, the the dash looks like a Jag E type, and um, <clears throat> they had a. It developed 140 horsepower, and it was 7,200 dollars new. All the all of the ones for that, all except two, were car- two convertibles, and the rest were all coupes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a double over overhead cam inline six, um, 137 cubic inches. I had this thing I booked. I just flipped open, mm. and I remember all this. Even the Junker is worth a hundred thousand. Oh, nice I bet. One, nice one is between 175 and more. Yeah, I and uh, do you think that's why Nissan came out with the 240Z because they saw this sort of Toyota coming coming well, around? You know, and- that, that is a, a natural. Uh, uh, Nissan took a look at, uh, uh, I think, and um, looked at what Toyota had just made and, mm. and and saw the, you know, the popularity of of the e, the E Type Jag, and said, well, maybe we can make an inline six. Approximately 150 horsepower, cheapo, you know, uh, 240 uh, Z, and see if it sells. And it's your own. It's your sold. The price was right. Yeah, everything everything was great. You know, I mean, it looked pretty good, and I had one of those. Yeah, but I sure, (laughs) I sure would like to have the 2000 GT because they're kind of interesting looking. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll tell you what, because you're such an authority here. Uh, we'll get your name and address. We'll send you something, and we'll enter. Hey, well, we'll we'll enter. We'll enter you into the contest to win a Triple A membership too. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. This, right. This, this for the heck of it for people who like all this sort of thing, uh, and there are plenty of them listening to you because you have a good audience, I'm sure. Um, extensive. Um, 
it, it didn't. It was not a really high revving double overhead cam engine. It, 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 it claims uh, fifty four hundred RPM, yeah. but but it kind of ran out of breath around five thousand. I'd love to drive one of these things, but I, I don't. There aren't there weren't that many made. I, yeah, you know. no, no. So, like I said, I've I've only I've only seen one in person, and that's mm-hmm. the only, that's the only one I've ever seen. And 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 when I saw it, no one offered to let me drive it. So yeah, the overhead overhead cam six. It had three side draft carbs. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was pretty exotic for, for yeah. back in '67. No. Yeah, no, it really, it really was. Okay, yeah, stay well, right first, there. Stay okay. right there, Marito. We'll get your address down. Okay. All right. Thank All right. You. Thank you. All right. Well, our time is running out, and uh, we did get we did get a Rick question of the week. He says, "What's your best the best driving advice you've ever been given?" And uh, I guess I don't know if what the very best was. Uh, I think part of it was. Get your eyes up, look down the road, leave plenty of room between you and everyone else, and uh, drive like everyone like like you think everyone else is crazy. The other little piece of driving advice I got once was, uh oh, looks like Paul Sullivan just broke the microphone. The other little piece of driving advice I got once was, if you inadvertently cut someone off, mistakenly cut them off, wave and say hello, be friendly, and. Um, I was with I was with somebody once, and we cut a farmer off, kind of driving through a f- farm country. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know, his hay truck almost tipped over. And uh, this was with a professional driver. And he kind of waved to the guy, and the guy waved back, and he said, whew, we're okay now. So always wave if you make a mistake, I guess, is uh, the other little bit of advice. But eyes up, look down the road, leave plenty of room. Whenever you take your eyes off the road, put your foot over the brake pedal. That way you're going to have plenty of room, plenty of that opportunity to slow down. So, And there's Paul Sullivan. Let's see if his microphone works. Yeah, let's see if this works. Does it work? It does. Hello? It does. Check it does. One, two, yeah, check it does. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what the farmer said? What's that? E-I-E-I, ouch. <laughs> Could have, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I drive I drive by a uh, uh, an insurance company and they have bad jokes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Is that on you know, that wasn't yet, but okay. I'm sure it will be. You yeah. know, it's uh, you know what did uh, what did the skeleton order for dinner? I don't know. Spare ribs. <laughs> <laughs> what color is an orange? <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet, but yes, yeah. It's those. It's that sort of, uh, and it's a two way. You know, it's. Uh, um, you know, the, the question's on one side and the answer's on the other side. So it's one of those things you have to sort of, you have to remember the question as you're coming back from work sort of thing. So. Wait a minute. It's an insurance company? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, so they're, they're looking doing at that so they make you turn around and get into an accident so they <laughs> no, can increase No, they just want business. you to try to remember. They I want am. to try to increase your memory skills. Says you. Yeah. All right. Hey, so what's hey, up for the Irish over group? there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's going to be, there's going to be big apartment buildings. They should carve like your... Face my face and Marita's face, so we can over, over in the pile of dirt. Yeah, so it'd be kind of like the Mount Rushmore, uh, sort of. Yeah. yeah, what do we call it? That's a big pile of dirt. That is a big pile. That, but as big a pile of dirt as that was. Yeah, remember when that was a big pile of snow? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that just melted in July. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's it's what November what seventh is coming again seventh. Yeah, Maybe, yeah. Hopefully not. I uh, I I said to somebody the other day. I I left a meeting Thursday night at a school and I said about a year ago when I left this same meeting I walked out and the snow was over my shoes mm-hmm. yeah. and I said tonight same time I walked- of year. it was same time of year yeah, yeah. and uh, it was right around just before Thanksgiving we had that weird snowstorm and mm-hmm. uh, you know in this, this time I left the meeting it was still 71 degrees out yeah it's nice it's yeah. been nice 
It's still nice out. It's like 60 now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's breezy. Yeah. Good All day. the leaves are coming off yeah. the trees. Yeah, that's good because I still have a I have a very small yard with a lot of trees, and they still have a lot of leaves on them, yep. and I'm hoping they're not by the time I get home. Not that I'm going to rake them, but... Well, you hopefully it's a favorable wind, and that means blowing no, into your neighbor's yeah, yard. No, they don't. They all blow in my yard. No, There's don't. Yeah, I, I, I made the mistake of putting up a fence a bunch of years back, and all yeah. it does is collect the leaves now. The, you have to do a little study in the wind dynamics before you construct anything. I know. We put an addition on the house a couple of years ago, and um, what it did is created a kind of like a back deck in between two sections yep. of the house. Mm-hmm. And we found out last winter that for snow drifting... It's not that good. No. I mean, the snow drifted up to, it was twice my height. And, you know, we just say, well, you know, it's a snowstorm. We don't have to shovel the deck. Well, yeah. Well, you, you do. You do now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and and I'm not going to rake leaves today because I'm I'm giving a talk at Gillette Stadium yeah, today. Yeah, to yeah. today. Yeah. Over, yeah. At, uh, over at the Putnam Club uh, at, uh, I've, I've been moved from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. I'm following Putnam, the, what used to be Fidelity, is it the same yeah, place? Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, um, but uh, I guess I'm following the Commissioner of Elder Affairs or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not even sure why. First off, why they asked for me, and so then you're, wait, you're giving a speech? Yeah. So you have to like uh, black tie? No. Okay. I'm going. I'm dressing tie? different than this, but <laughs> but no tie, no okay. tie. It's a it's a casual. Uh, it's the best ever. No, Best Year's Expo. Okay. So for old people like me like and us. you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because we're in our best years as opposed uh, to Maria, who? who's not yet. Yeah, so. Says you. We <laughs> <laughs> were so, talking about earlier on the show that I said, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, the Shelby. Yeah. Oh, Shelby Mustang? Yeah. 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 So. And anyway. Marita doesn't know, right? Yeah. She doesn't. No, she didn't know. She barely knows who ACDC is. Uh. <laughs> I listen. <laughs> They, All right. um, they packed, speaking of the stadium, they packed the stadium this summer. They did. So there's they still did. a lot of old, old fo- fogey uh, <laughs> rock star yeah, fans. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Anyway, we got to go because the Irish yeah, Parade's coming up next. good if Brian got it. What did you say just took uh, possession of? Uh, a new, very, very, very limited edition Mustang. God bless him. Yeah. Yeah. So now he's going to Australia. He can't even drive it. So <laughs> tough to be him. Hey, until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. Next week, we're talking tires with people from Michelin. See you all next week. Bye-bye.